Welcome to another episode of the Military Mentor. I'm your host, Big Chief. And today, I have a cold. This is going to be one of my favorite episodes because I'm going to sound nasally. I'm going to sniffle throughout the entire episode, but nonetheless, I show up. It's been a crazy week. I started a project management certification course last week on Monday. So I spent the entire week going through an 800-page book, studying through a facilitated class from 2 p.m. till about 11.30 p.m. every day, followed by studying on the weekends. Lots of stuff going on uh, around that. So I missed my Monday episode, which usually doesn't happen. But I'm here, and we're going to make it up. I've also spent a lot of time degening in the crypto space. And what does that mean? That, that means when you get involved with crypto projects that have the potential to produce a high rate of return, but I haven't been degening just for the sake of degening. I've been getting involved with the actual projects and contributing my cybersecurity skills to make sure that those projects stay secure. And I've been advising and shaping those projects so people can actually realize their investment when you have somebody that has values and morals behind the scenes guiding these projects that on the surface layer looked like uh, they weren't going anywhere. So that's what I've been doing with my time along with trying to manage my own projects that I have going on in life. So a lot of things I've been doing have been around innovation, self-development, and interacting with people. So over the last few weeks, I've met a lot of people all around the world, interesting folks, and uh, it's been quite an experience. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about how to build teams, some of the ideas and science around interacting and motivating people. And you might think, I'm not a leader. Why does this matter to me? Well, everything that I've done this week, from engaging with my instructor to engaging with crypto communities to facilitating partnerships and collaborations to innovating and working in a decentralized team that's just coming together around a project and people live all over the world. You never know when you find yourself in a position where you find that you're a part of a group or you have to influence a person or a group, it's good to know these skills. So I'm going to pull this information directly out of my project management book because as I was reading it, a lot of these principles I had already come across before, but I said, hey, this is neatly organized and everybody should know about this stuff. So what the hell, why not? I'll just be the guy that tells you about the principles of dealing with people. So we're going to start with Tuckman's Ladder. So Tuckman came up with this idea that when a team is newly formed, they would go through five levels of performance. The first level is forming, and they go through a storming phase, and then a norming phase, 
and then a performing phase, and then finally, an adjourning phase. So inside of the performing phase, this is where the team starts to come together. They get assigned roles. Everybody is new. Just think about first day of school. You raise your hand. Hi, my name is Mike. I like playing with sticks, and I live in the neighborhood down the street. You introduce yourself. It's the forming phase. And then once class starts and people start to interact with each other, you go through a storming phase. This is the second phase of building. So people start to fight over desk space. They start to fight over who gets to hang their coat on the coat rack inside the classroom. People start to fight. This is normal. You know, this is part of team building. But after the fighting is over and everything is settled, then things normalize. And then your friends become, you know, just a normal part of your life. And once that happens, then people start actually achieving things because now they're working together well. And then after everything is done, school year is over, you start to adjourn. This is a normal part of integrating into any part of life. So if you're starting a new job and you're just a new guy, realize that Tuckman's Ladder is not just a sequential set of steps that happens once and it's done. This is a, a process that constantly resets, all right? You can have a household where everything has become normalized. Mom and dad understand the kids. Kids understand mom and dad. Divorce happens. New person comes inside the house, got a new stepdad. Now we're starting over because a new family is forming. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to figure it out. You're going to start to function well together and eventually move out of the house. Same thing at work. You know, a new employee comes in, then things start over. This is an important idea to understand because it's a part of the dynamics of how we interact in life. So I'm going to move past that conversation about Tuckman's Ladder, about how people come together in groups. And we're going to dig a little bit more into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This talks about the individual. So groups are made up of individuals. And as an individual, you have to understand yourself. And as a leader, you have to understand each individual and within your team or within your environment. All right. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs says that there's basic human level requirements that need to be met. And people pursue these requirements naturally as a part of their programming. And the higher levels can't be met unless the lower levels are met. So the very foundation of how a person functions is the need to be uh, physiologically secure. So that means you have some place to sleep, you have food, you have clothes, everything that you need to function is available. Sniffle break. All right. It just proves to you that I have a cold and I'm here anyways. All right, so physiological needs. After your physiological needs are met, then we look for security. We need job. We need safety. We need to make sure that we're not going to be attacked. There's no wild animals out there trying to eat us. We found a cave. We make a fake door out of sticks, and then we feel secure. So we're fed. We got clothes. We got a place to live. Now we feel secure. So once those things are done, Now we want to find a community to belong to. Now we start to get into that that need to socialize. 
So we want to be accepted. So we try to find a group to belong. And these are these first three steps of the five step phases are considered the lower 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 level needs: physiological, security, and acceptance. Once you get past that, you start to get into esteem. You want to feel important. You want to feel like you're recognized. You want to con- contribute. You want people to know who you are. All right. That's a higher level need. The need to be noticed. And then after you finish that, the top level need that people have is called self-actualization. It's living and working to your full potential, how you see yourself when you look in the mirror. I'm a guy that's successful. One day I'll be a singer. One day I'll be a rapper. One day I'll be a basketball player. Self-actualization. When you are able to achieve your personal vision of yourself in your life. Why is this stuff important? Well, it's important because you have to understand when you're interacting with people where they are at on this progression towards the higher level need of self-actualization. And you have to understand how you or another third-party person need to be satisfied so that way you can mature to higher level objectives. Some people get stuck on the level of security. They don't they they're sketchy on their job. Um they don't have they don't know if they can pay their rent um because they can't figure out how to how to pay their rent and take care of their livelihood. They might become isolated because they're not thinking about being a part of a team or being a part of society at this point. They just feel like I don't want to interact with anybody because my basic needs are not met. My lower needs the fundamental of human nature are not met so then become recluse and then you start to have these problems with these individuals but if you feel if you peel back the layer and you actually evaluate where they're at what do they actually talk about what are they striving for what are they complaining about constantly you can kind of figure out where they're at on that scale and as a decent human we should try to help an individual see themselves and realize their potential and move past that level help them find solutions and understand that they are on this this uh scale of moving up towards higher level needs so following this we have something called the expectancy theory sorry about the noise in the background i have kids outside that are enjoying themselves making noise like kids do so the expectancy theory was developed by a guy named Victor Vroom and he said that team members make choices based on expected outcomes. So you'll come across the expectancy theory in your everyday relationships whether it be a relationship with your kids or with your spouse or with your employees or even with if you run a, a community there's the expectancy theory comes into effect. How? Well because people will only be motivated to achieve something if they think that the goal that they're working towards can actually be accomplished. So if you tell somebody that we're going to, you know, all get together and we're going to work hard and we're going to raise a million dollars, if they don't believe that that's feasible, they're not going to be motivated to work hard. So you have to celebrate in life with your kids, with your spouse, with your team. You have to celebrate the small wins. You got to put small objectives in front of yourself and in front of the people around you. And a lot of times the expectancy theory lands squarely as an impactful 
uh, theory in your own life because I don't know how many people I come across and have big dreams as children. They say, I want to be an NBA player. I want to make a million dollars a year. I want to drive a really nice car. And then they get older and then they realize how difficult life really is, how things just aren't handed to you. It's a whole lot of work to get to the next level. And then they start to feel like these ambitions are actually out of reach. So then they stop trying. They said, you know what? It's not realistic for me to get a nice car. It's not realistic for me to achieve a million dollars. So they stopped trying. So the question is, is what do you need? What do the people around you need to believe that the objectives that are set in front of them are achievable? This is a point of self-reflection where you got to look at yourself and say, what do I really want? Optimally, if in a perfect situation, what, what would I really want? in my life not what I settled for but what would I really want and what do I need to do to convince myself that it's achievable and if you are the person who for who who often foregoes your personal goals then it might be worthwhile reflecting on that idea of the expectancy theory moving on we have McGregor's theory x and theory y so this one forms into the idea of how people are managed. So this this theory about dealing with people is really breaking apart how managers think, the, the two levels of the spectrum. On one side, you have theory X. The thing about theory X is a bad thing. This is the manager that presumes that people are only interested in their own selfish goals. They're unmotivated. They don't like to work. You have to force them to be productive. They feel like people need to be constantly supervised to get things done. That is the X theory leader. Then on the other side of that, you have the Y theory leader who assumes that people are naturally motivated. They believe that their team members uh, need very low motivation. They can be trusted to work. So where does this come into play? Well, you'll see this everywhere. Uh, You'll see this in your job. You'll do this at home to your kids. And if you're married, your wife might do it to you. So to understand the mindset and to kind of reflect on yourself, if you're a manager, if you are a leader in somebody's life and say, where do I fall in this spectrum? Am I the person that inherently thinks that people are lazy and they won't get things done? Therefore, I have to micromanage. Is the problem with the people or is the problem with me? If you're in an environment where this is happening to you, then you have to realize that this is an attribute that's why it became a theory uh, of leaders and some people are just coded to be that type of individual it has nothing to do with you unless you truly suck at your job but that's for you to evaluate then there's this one called the contingency theory that talks about there's two types of leadership approach there's one where there's a task oriented uh, leader And then there is a relationship oriented. So the contingency theory, if it doesn't uh, apply in your life, this is one you should consider. It says that people will tend to lead in the way that's needed for the objective that's trying to be accomplished. If I'm in an organization and we have a deadline to meet and, you know, things just aren't lining up. I might have to be that task-oriented leader. I might have to point everybody towards what needs to be done, give everybody their marching orders, and left, right, left we go until the mission is a go. 
Or on the other side, you have the guy who is is a, a relationship oriented guy who, you know, goes and builds that rapport with people to influence them and encourage them to get the job done. But you have to be flexible. That's a there's no right or wrong in that particular that particular contingency theory idea. You have to be flexible and be what you need to be for that moment. I always have this theory or this philosophy um, whenever I dealt with my subordinates in the past and I would always say you can work with me or you can work for me. I did not know that my philosophy was actually the contingency theory. So I would tell them if you know we were all here to achieve an objective, I am a resource that is a part of achieving our objective and so are you and no one person is more important than the next because we are collectively the resource that gets it done so if we're moving in the same direction and we're both working to achieve the objective then you're working with me if i have to tell you what to do and you're not self-motivated to get the job done now you're working for me so that's a task oriented i prefer to be a relationship oriented you work with me type of guy but everybody doesn't always put you in that in that position sniffle sniffle all right so next we have hertzberg's motivation hygiene theory right and this theory talks about the things that are required as a prerequisite for the motivation factors to work and these things that he identifies are like passive uh, things that happen, passive factors that you you won't deliberately say, I'm going to motivate this person with uh, a status or job security or good supervision. You know, these are things that have to happen naturally inside of an organization for something like an achievement award to be accepted and have the impact it's intended to have. So some of the hygiene factors that are listed is a paycheck, personal life. You have work-life balance. Do you have security in your job? Are you comfortable that you won't get fired? Do you have a good relationship with your coworkers? Uh, is your relationship good with your boss? So is your working conditions good? These are things that happen passively uh, in an environment. And those things have to be in place for something like if you had a growth opportunity, if you had a growth opportunity or you got recognition, but you come to work and you hate your coworkers and you hate your boss, you're not going to be so excited about that growth opportunity or that reward because the next day you just hate your boss or you hate your small cubicle with open trash cans all around it. And it smells like banana peels and, uh, and McDonald's. So when you're setting the conditions in your own home, in your own life, and you're saying, I'm being the best dad I can be. I'm being the best husband I can be or the best wife I can be. I'm being the best neighbor I can be. And you feel like you're doing all these things that add value in your mind. Well, sometimes you have to come back and say, what are the hygiene factors in this relationship? And are they being met? You can take your kid off for ice cream. But if you don't go to a basketball game, if you don't have conversations with him, if you don't sit and watch a TV show with him, that bad, that one ice cream visit is not going to mean much because the other factors are not being met. 
You can buy your spouse an awesome gift for a holiday. But if you never spend time, it might not matter. So there's certain hygiene theories or hygiene requirements that's needed. Next, we move on to McClellan's uh, three need theory. So there's three type of needs that people need. Achievement, power, and affiliation. You have those folks that's motivated by just achieving things and being recognized. They tend to be the guys who want the spotlight on them. You have to figure out who those people are. And if you give them what they want, they will be motivated. If you find a guy that seems to be what we call in the army, a spotlight ranger, and they constantly constantly need validation, give it to him. Who cares? Because when you give that guy the validation that he needs as a resource, he's going to work a lot harder because he's going to be looking for that validation. You have some folks that are looking for power. They want social power. They want to be effective. Uh, Those people, you can put them in charge of a project. They'll probably work really hard on that project because they take pride that they are in charge. And then you have folks that just want to be liked. They just want to have good relationships with everybody. These people are, are motivated by affiliation. You can pat them on the back, bring them into little, little clubs, and then they will be happy. There are several forms of power that in life. Uh, I'm going to explain what they are because it's great to leverage them as you go through life. First one being reward power. Reward power is if you are the authority to give your kid the cookie out of the cookie jar. Most of the time it's mom. If the kid goes to get a cookie and you're the one that's giving it to him, mom is like, don't give him a cookie. It's almost time for dinner. But 10 minutes later, she'll be the one that's folding and giving the cookie. And dad doesn't get to be the hero with reward power. The kid realizes that mom controls dad and the cookie will only be given when mom is ready to give the cookie. So that individual has reward power. So people will bend to your will if you are the bearer of the rewards. If you've ever seen a dog when you are the person that has the treats in your hands, they come and they obediently sit down and they act patient. They do every trick you tell them to do because you have reward power. The next one is expert power. And expert power says that you know what you're doing. I follow this guy because he knows how to build a ship that will keep me from sinking and dying. So expert power is another uh, form of of, uh, influence that you can achieve simply by knowing what you're doing. In a household, um, a lot of times dad has expert power because he knows how to change the oil. He knows how to fix the light bulbs. And when things go wrong and the dryer is making strange sounds, dad is back there busting his knuckles, tearing it apart, trying to figure it out. So mom says, hey, dad's great because he's a handyman. He gets things done. And the kid is looking at you in awe like dad's so smart because he knows how to use a screwdriver. So expert power is a real thing. Next, you have legitimate power, which means that my position You are appointed power, president of the United States, your boss, uh, people in society like your mayor, your governor, police, police officers have legitimate power. And then you have reference power, 
Referent power is one of my favorite types of power. And this is based on respect or the charisma personality of the manager. I'm going to hang out here for a while on referent power because you don't necessarily have to be in a management position to leverage referent power. This is the most powerful, in my opinion, form of power there is because you just got to not be an asshole. That's the first step. And be sociable and smile when you see people and shake hands. And if you don't have COVID, kiss babies. And people will say, you know what? Every time I see that guy, he's just a stellar, outstanding guy. He's always smiling. He's witty. And people will want to follow you just because of that. And then you have the leader with legitimate power who gets the paycheck that supports his power. And people don't willfully go out of their way to follow him because he doesn't have any character and he's dry and he's boring and he's serious and he likes to use punishment as a tool and he has very little real influence which makes him a manager and not a leader so reference power gives you the ability to persuade people and it is superior to other forms of power because when you can influence simply based off of your character, it clears the way for you to get where you want to go. There's very little obstacles and very little people that you won't be able to sway to provide an advantage for you. So in your life, you might say, well, I'm not the manager at my job. I don't have a, a degree and I'm a new guy in my job, whatever the situation might be. And you might have realized that you have all the resources that you need to influence and win your way to a better circumstance simply by your character. And this is why I always talk to my son often about character development and how important that is, because your ability to influence, your ability to have to gain respect and demonstrate charisma, which they call AKA Riz. My son calls it W Riz, which means winning charisma. I'm learning all kinds of new words in 2024. My son comes home sometimes and he uh, he looks in the mirror. He does his hair. And he comes downstairs and he says, Dad, I got W Riz. And, uh, and he's, he's explaining to me how he's able to leverage his power of influence because my son is not easily swayed into negative things. Uh, so he tends to lead kids into more sensible choices and because he's different in that respect uh, people tend to follow him because he makes sure that he's well put together it took years to get this child to comb his hair and make sure he looks decent when he leaves the house now it's a requirement to a point where he uses all of my stuff so success there my ability to influence him has created a monster all right last power is punishment power least desirable form of power but nonetheless, if your kids know that you're going to punish them, they will tend to follow everything you tell them to do. The same thing inside of uh, at work. Some people stay away from the big boss that can uh, give you a negative performance review or fire you. They don't want him to know that they're not performing. So they perform when the general manager shows up. Everyone's on their best behavior because they don't want to 
end up in a situation where they're getting fired because that GM has reward power and he also has punishment power. So that's the conversation about how people work, how individuals work, how groups work. And you don't have to be in a leadership position to leverage these ideas and concepts to your benefit. Uh, Everything that you do, no matter what the engagement is, it's always an exercise of dealing with people. Over the past two weeks, I've met so many people who I've met day one, never met them before in my life. And and just by engaging them over digital uh, engagements, over chat groups, or sometimes quick conversations, I'm able to demonstrate my character uh, through that medium by carefully choosing my words and exercising my humor. I'm, I'm a pretty funny guy, but I just, it's hard to uh, express my humor without having an interaction sometimes, but I'm going to figure it out and you guys are going to see how funny I can be. All right. But yeah, um, it's a very important uh, idea about how to interact with society in groups and as an individual. So I hope that you guys take some of these uh, lessons and tips and go back and apply them and go and influence people and take control of your life. I'll see you guys again on Monday. And I hope I sound even more nasally because I want to show you guys that I show up. All right, you guys have a good weekend. Talk to you later. Bye.